0: Would you pray with me? Lord, we are, we are here this morning to hear from you. And I pray that um, what I speak this morning would, would be truthful, It would be your truth, um, and that you would seal the truth of your word in every one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated. Our text this morning, Psalm 44, has a lot of similarities to Psalm 88, which we read last week. And if the, the where is God now, what is he doing, why isn't he helping, is kind of the where you are this morning, then I really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon from Father Curtis. Um, because I, I do want to look at a different aspect of Psalm 44 this morning. Um, the word shame is only mentioned uh, explicitly twice in the reading we had today in Psalm 44, but actually it's the theme of, of pretty much the entire psalm, <clears throat> shame. And, and so that's what our, our theme will be this morning for this sermon, shame and honor. Um, before I can really dive into the text, I want to spend just a couple of minutes um, doing my best to explain honor and shame because those are words that we use a lot, but I don't think really understand at least the biblical meaning of them very well. Um, I know when when I hear shame, I usually think of embarrassment. You know, something has been found out about me that I didn't want to be known, or something's been revealed about me I didn't want seen, and now I feel embarrassed, right? But that's not really the 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 problem that we're dealing with this morning in Psalm 44, because really embarrassment comes down to um, how confident am I, and how much do I have to hide? And I don't think God is really interested in helping us hide things. Um, and He wants our confidence to be not in in who we are ourselves. So I don't want to talk about embarrassment. Um, I want to really dig into what this shame concept is, but to do that, I think we have to start with its... Biblical opposite, which is honor. Um, now, honor kind of varies a little bit culture to culture. It's it's uh, the concept has even shifted over time. So I, I'm really speaking to a biblical worldview at this at this moment. Don't if you you know uh, don't assume everything I say is still literally applicable everywhere you go outside of the West today. Um, but shame and honor were the dominant way of understanding the social world at the time of the Old Testament. Shame and honor. And the idea was that you wanted honor, and if you didn't have honor, you were shamed. And shaming would even sort of decrease the honor you had. So there's sort of a cause and effect for honor and shame, both. That if you you, if you are honored, your honor goes up. And if you're shamed, your honor goes down. Your shame increases. Um, and, and so a lot of these things I'm going to sort of talk about, they're sort of, you can see it's the cause and the effect both. They, they go together. Um, honor, we can talk about in four categories. And I'm thankful to Dr. Tim Laniac, a professor of mine. His doctorate was in Old Testament studies, and he helpfully grouped these four things into four S's. So I didn't have to do any work this week on creating alliteration. It was already done for me. Really thankful, thanks, Dr. Laniac. The first is substance. That honor is related to the weight of something. And so God is described in the Old Testament as being heavy, and that's kind of funny. Why would God be heavy? Well, there's a few reasons. If you think about what was valuable for, say, the Israelites, gold, silver, gemstones, The heavier they are, the more valuable. So the substance of something gives it honor. And that kind of got tied metaphorically to strength, right? A king had a lot of honor because he could push down and control his people. He could marshal an army that was very strong and go out and and hopefully win battles for him. So substance, weight, value, power, strength, and even the ability to provide Now that came with it, certain responsibilities. If you have all this strength and wealth, you were expected to provide for those who were lesser. So uh, kings were commanded to take care of their people. And so we can see the Old Testament, um, especially the prophets getting very upset when that got topsy-turvy and the kings were oppressing the people and extracting wealth when they should have been providing. We would see this between even nations. Empires would come and there'd be a big war and the, the losing country, the weaker country, would enter into a covenant and the stronger nation would be responsible to provide care and in return, the lesser nation would respect um, and, and yield and submit to the stronger. So our, our response to that, that honor of strength is typically yielding and submitting obedience. The second category is status, and this is the one that we most often think of, and I think in our time, we think of honor. Prestige, pride, pride of place, the rank somebody has attained. And there are a lot of symbols that can go with that. Um, we can think in the Old Testament, the, the crowns and scepters and these kinds of things, thrones. Those are all signs of honor, Status. uh, there's also language of distance. So if you're close to somebody with honor, guess what? You've got more honor. And to be far from the person of honor is to be shamed. The response that is expected of a high status, of course, is respect. The third category is splendor. And again, you can often see in the Old Testament in particular, but also in Revelation, lots of words about God's light his shininess, his radiance, something that proceeds from him, and you can't just manufacture um, beauty. Those things are bound up with honor, and so the one who is beautiful is honored, and the one who is not as beautiful is shamed. The response expected for splendor is awe. Just take it in, right, to be impressed by Um, this thing that we we cannot ourselves make. And the fourth category, so substance, status, splendor, the fourth one is self, the the inner part of you that has some kind of value assigned to it, our name, to use an Old Testament language, our character. And of course, that bears a certain responsibility as well. If you have a reputation then you're responsible to live up to it. If your reputation is for keeping your word, you have a responsibility to go on keeping your word. And so that, that's that's honor. And then, of course, shame is the, the absence of those things. So the poor, the weak, those of lower rank, lower prestige, those who are, are not considered beautiful, those who have no light of their own that shines, and those whose character is... Is, uh, amounts to nothing. Those who have no value uh, intrinsically, those things have to do with shame. And so the more you're shamed, the more that stuff happens to you. That was the assumption. Um, now, the thing about honor and shame versus what we more often think of with the gospel is guilt and innocence, right? We think of in terms of, well, there's a law and all people we know from the scriptures have broken God's laws, therefore we have guilt. Whether we feel guilty or not, we have guilt, and we, we recognize that if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in him, then our sins, our guilt, can be forgiven. And with the absence of guilt, we can be restored into a, rel- a right relationship with God, and that is completely true. But it's not the only way the scriptures talk about salvation. A whole lot of of the problems that come up in the scriptures and God's solution relate to this sphere of shame and honor. And so I want to look now at Psalm 44 with that in mind, the problem the psalmist finds himself in. And this picks up, you know, verses 1 through 8 are kind of this praise to God. God, we, you know, we remember all the great things you did and we worship you and we praise you and yea, God. And we get to verse 9, But you've rejected and disgraced us. And of course, disgrace is another synonym for shame. You've not gone out with our armies. We are weak, shameful. You've made us turn back from the foe. Now we look weak. It's even worse. Not just we are weak, now we look weak to others. Those who hate us have gotten spoiled, so others are getting rich. We've been plundered. We've lost our wealth. You make us like sheep for slaughter, scatter us among the nations. We are powerless. You've sold your people for a trifle. No value. No substance. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors. Well, the word for taunt here could literally be translated shame. You've made us a shame to our neighbors our shamefulness is spreading it's contagious you've made us a byword among the nations a laughingstock our reputation is shot and the worst is i can't escape it right all day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face i'm i'm even now uh, i have no beauty in my face it's shameful Not many of us, I presume, have experienced a military defeat like this. But if we think of our life apart from Christ, we might get a better sense of where we actually have experienced these things. Because our real enemy, of course, is not the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Philistines. Our enemies are the powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The sin that dwells in us, the sin working out there against us, the, the attacks of the devil. And so, we believe lies, and we, as we try to accumulate honor on our own, we seek wealth and power. We seek status and beauty. And we, we, set, we, we try to to figure out what will make us feel like we have some intrinsic value when we pursue all kinds of things, particularly pleasure and money. So we're deceived into doing that. And then as we do that, the, the lie of the world just continues to come back on us that, well, you never have enough. You don't have enough money. You don't really have any power. You don't really have any value. How can you really know that you're enough? The thing is that that shame and honor, they're always in the context of of other people. A lot of it's out of our control. You can even be shamed. That, That one about status is real flexible. So just by belonging to the wrong people group, you can be of a low status, never belonging. And so we find often... If we buy into this idea of the way the world works, we find ourselves unable to be honored and unable to deal with the shame that comes with that. Even if those aren't the words we might naturally use shame and honor. And then Jesus comes. Now, God had promised to remove shame and even shame Israel's enemies. He does this throughout the Psalms and the Prophets, in particular. So shame really emerges um, as a problem for Israel as they are losing battles and being exiled, um, and over and over the promise is not just that they'll get their stuff back, but that their shame will be taken away. Psalm eighty-eight, actually last week, had some promises or s- some uh, elements of that. Psalm or Isaiah forty-one. Isaiah 61, and all throughout the prophets. Uh, We see in Joel 2, 26 and 27, the promise not just that God would restore the honor of Israel and shame their enemies, but that my people shall never be put to shame anymore. Joel 2. Joel 2 starts with that promise of the Holy Spirit. So we understand that this promise, to never be put to shame, that's, that's a promise for us, for God's people in this new age. Hebrews 9, we read this morning, uh, this wonderful passage that, that Emily read, that Christ has made a way for us to be with God. He has reconciled us to God. And so our status, our distance from God, now has shrunk way down. Now we can be close to God, and that is a place of honor. Honor. In fact, Paul calls us the sons and daughters of God. We're the people who can cry, Abba, Father. And we are invited to feast at his table. Our status is secure because of the blood of Christ. What about our substance? Well, we are promised the riches of a glorious inheritance, Ephesians 1.18. God's very substance, his glory has been promised as an inheritance to us. We have a claim to the weight of God. And not just the the riches of a glorious inheritance, but power too. Acts 1.8, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the power from on high that will come to his disciples. But that power looks different from the power we have sought apart from Christ. This is not power to be lorded over others. This is the power of God working through us to bring about his kingdom. What about splendor? I mean, I know that when I became a Christian, I didn't like get prettier. Now I'm looking out here, that may not be true for Some of y'all, maybe that's what happened because you all look great this morning, but I know for me it didn't happen. So We're splendid, though, we could think of as in 1 Peter, for example, uh, chapter 3. uh, Peter says that the Holy Spirit, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in us makes us beautiful to God. That the measure God has for beauty is different than what we have been thinking until now. And in fact, no matter what we look like in the mirror, we have a new splendor as we begin to reflect God's glory and honor. What about that inner part of us? Uh, What the Old Testament, the word actually um, is liver in the Old Testament. The word for liver and the word for honor, basically the same word. Um, What about our livers? Well, (laughs) remember, uh, Romans 5, 8 puts it so, so neatly. Christ died for us while we were sinners, why? because of God's love for us. In fact, we might remind ourselves of an Old Testament teaching, one that escaped me until I was reading a commentary this week. In Genesis 9-6, the prohibition on murder is tied to the fact that all people bear the image of God. And so if inside of us is God's image, if we have been shown God's love, how could we doubt the intrinsic value that God has placed on us? Well, that's what the gospel means for us when we think about our former pursuit of honor. But it presents a new problem. We've become Christians, and the world tries to shame us all over again, all different ways. You guys are nuts, you Christians. What do you mean it's better to give than receive? What do you mean you worship a guy who got executed by his government? What do you mean love your enemies? doesn't make any sense. What do you mean it's better to be poor and righteous than cut corners and be rich? And they will shame us for all of the things that we have come to value in Christ. Our task is to remember the honor that we have been given in Christ. That when we feel shamed, whether it's from the world, whether it is the devil, whether it's the lies that we believe about ourselves, We can be freed from them by replacing our idea of where our honor comes from. And of course, we should seek to do good in the world, and it's great when they say good things about us. But our substance, our status, our splendor, our self-worth, these don't come from what anybody in this social world that we live in That is of the world can ascribe to us. Those things, substance, status, splendor, and self worth, come now only from God. And so we have been delivered from the power of shame. We don't have to meet the expectations of the systems of this world any longer. Our enemies have been and are being put to shame. Every Sunday when we gather here for worship, we are proclaiming our victory through Christ over sin and death. Death and sin, the devil, they've been made to look like fools because of Christ's victory for us on the cross. We are more than merely forgiven of our sins. We have been counted as honored among God's people. And when we turn our attention here to this table in just a moment, we are reminded, with food we can eat and drink we can drink, of the truth of that honor. And so let me just pray, uh, pray for us here. Lord, we, we are just in awe of your splendor, displayed in creation, but also in our salvation. We pray that we might be able to live into the honor you have bestowed on us. That we could be people who find our wealth, our treasure, our status, our value in you and your works, in you and your nature, you and your character. As we go out from here, would you bless us with the reminder? who we belong to.